when we went to Tel Aviv uh, for the Eurobasket 2017 uh, with the whole uh, television crew, like two commentators, uh, I would say two or three operators, our producer, we were like six or seven people, some somebody from the news, some, somebody from the website. And you know, in the on the first day, our producer said like, let's try some interesting cuisines. Okay. Uh, and, and next to our hotel was like Ethiopian restaurant. Okay. And and we just went there. There was an open table for us, like six or seven people. And yeah, we we ordered some traditional Ethiopian food. You know, African food is like uh, some meat uh, on bread, on, on top of bread. There's some vegetables. You eat everything with your hands, you know. And it's just me and my my colleague commentator. We decided to to have a shot of tequila before eating. Smart. And uh, after eating again, have another shot. And all the other guys didn't do it. Mm. So the next day, everybody on our crew was having a diarrhea, except, except of us. Wow. The two of us were fine. Like we woke up, maybe we felt something a little bit in our stomach, but you know, before going out of the hotel, we just felt fine, you know, and went to the to the arena to take our accreditations, to, to do uh. all that stuff. And all the other guys were having the worst day wow. of the trip. And we just had two shots of tequila and... Uh, Apparently, it helped us, you know. And they say that alcohol harms. I mean, no when, when you use it smartly for a purpose, it, it, it can help you, but obviously it harms. And smart quantity. When, when, when like, it's it's a shot before meal and a shot after mm -hmm. meal, it's fine. But if it, it if it extends to, like, six shots, seven shots, then maybe we, we have a different picture. But yeah, in that case, I realized, like, when you're doing, when you're eating some exotic food that your body is not used to, yeah. Uh, you should actually take a vodka shot or tequila shot or, or at, just at least some it coke. Really helps at least some well. coke because you know we're not used to it. We're Lithuanians. We're used to eating what like uh, potato pancakes, uh, sour cream on the side. Uh, I don't know, just just a big lump of meat, you know, with with potatoes or or some other vegetables. Nothing fancy, nothing uh, unusual, you know. And and we're used to it. But obviously, when you travel to Asia, Africa, your body might be shocked by what you consume. So that's the lesson to be learned, right? Yeah, we're missing Gogis in this pod, and not because of food poisoning. He has uh, some other health issues that we had to postpone this pod. And he also, he's playing do or die game in the second Lithuanian division, uh, the playoff stage uh, against Rita's uh, youth team. So he will try to recover uh, for that game. Uh, and But there's some stuff we have to discuss, uh, both uh, from, from the previous week and looking uh, forward uh, ahead. We already actually discussed uh, some of the hottest topics, including Mike James suspension and Matthias Lazard, but this was only for BN Plus members that you can become on basketnews.com slash plus. The entire episode was available only for BN Plus uh, members. Uh, so we won't repeat ourselves again in this part, but I mean, players, teams, they're just providing, they're just delivering with some content, whether it was the first game winner by Sasha Vazenkov in his yearly career, or Shane Larkin just announcing goofball uh, hour after disappointing uh, another FS loss. So there's plenty of content to discuss, but let's start from positives, okay? Let's start from For positives. Sure. Sasha Vazenkov hitting his first... Uh, 
ever game winner in the EuroLeague. He just had this game winner in the Greek League, but it's it's different. How did you feel about that shot? I mean, it's a great shot. Uh, he had a mismatch, I mean, a size mismatch uh, against Thomas Dimsha, but it's not like he was uh, close to the rim or it was an easy shot, nothing uh, close to it. I mean, it was a fadeaway. He was falling to the ground. And he said he felt like it's short, but mm. it went in. McKissick so, also said that he felt that yeah, it was short. But and... it was a perfect shot, you know. And obviously before that, he hit a similar shot again with a smaller defender on him. So maybe that helped him as well. Uh, it was not a buzzer beater, it was a game winner because obviously Olympiakos still had to defend Jarigris' last possession. And in my opinion, Ulanovas had a more or less clean look with his floater. It just didn't go in. But Vazenkov showed that he's clutch. Of course, throughout the whole game, again, he did everything we're used to this season, like all these uh, cuts to the to the basket, assisted by Mustafa Fall, uh, some free pointers, some mid range shots, uh, basically scoring without dribbling the ball. That's that's what he does all the time. Uh, but that shot, yeah, it was an it, it was amazing, really, because. Um, you can say it's easy over a smaller defender, but when it's a fadeaway shot and he looked off balance to mm -hmm. me, uh, it, and he it's really he hard. he couldn't see the it, rim, actually. Yeah. And, you know, we saw Mirotic hitting some similar shots, I think, in the in the past couple of seasons. But this time it was uh, Vizenkov and obviously it shows that not only he's a great player, not only he's a, an MVP frontrunner, but at the same time he's clutch, you know. And that's the thing, because throughout the season, he was just delivering with amazing, spectacular, probably historical stats through the first three quarters. Yeah. And the fourth quarter, it was more about Costas Lucas and some other uh, guys just clinching wins and, and finishing the games. Now Lucas was out. He was yeah. not playing, and Sasha Vizenkov had the chance uh, to decide the game. He did it, and Yurlik uh, actually put the headline and article uh, after that game saying Sasha Vazenkov took a huge step in MVP race with, with a game winner in Konas. Would you agree that this game winner kind of, not just Olympiakos clinched, uh, they became the first EuroLeague team to clinch the playoff berth. Yeah. Uh, would you agree that Vazenkov, this game winner, maybe it was just this missing piece, missing cherry on the cake, you know, to say that, hey, this conversation, this whole race is over, no matter how we will finish the remaining of the regular season and Unfortunately, we have the playoffs that probably counts in this MVP consideration in, in, in the EuroLeague. But but even besides that, if it, it's enough to say that Vizenko is MVP. Uh, maybe it's enough in our eyes, but in, in the actual voting, you need to get to the final four. There's no other way. I cannot imagine uh, in this system where we are not treating it as a regular season award, I cannot imagine s somebody being an MVP after losing a quarterfinal series. So in the end, it all, it all, you can, you win the regular season, you're the first seed, uh, you have the best numbers and everything, but if you lose the best of five, you're not going to get the MVP, in my opinion. Maybe it depends. It depends on who you have next, because do you see any 
other, I mean, somebody who's closest to Vizenkov. Because for me personal, there are a lot of guys, but yeah. I wouldn't exclude one person that you could say, oh, if not Vizenkov, that's him for sure. And maybe that also could I mean, help Vizenkov, even if they lose the playoff series. I mean, let's say Matthias Lasorin, if, if Partizan mm. push for the for the final four okay. somehow. If they win over Olympiakos, for instance, well, and Lasorin is dominating. For example. Uh, I'm just saying that we, we saw how Mirotic even... Uh, not not last season, but the season before. Even after making it to the final four, yeah. he just struggled in the series versus Zenit, yeah. and that cost him the MVP. Because in the That's regular true. season, it was clear that he's the MVP. Mitic is behind him, but after what happened in the playoff series, uh, it all shifted towards Mitic, and mm -hmm. and he was awarded the MVP. So in my opinion, again, it should be a regular season award. Yeah. The playoffs shouldn't even count to this. Then we could just vote on uh, after the regular season, and in this case, yeah, I, I would agree that Vizenkov uh, is the clear MVP right now, uh, even without that buzzer, not, not buzzer yeah, be the yeah, game yeah. winner, even without that, it's obvious. Uh, but in this case, we just have to wait and see what happens in the playoffs. We do imagine that Olympiakos, uh, the way they're playing, have to win the series. Doesn't matter who they f they're facing. Mm. Anyway, they will be favorites with the home court advantage. So uh, I think they're a final four lock in my eyes. And probably at the moment, they look like favorites to win the title. Uh, so Vazankov is, is is leading the team. But to me, his numbers and, and everything is more about the team than him. It, it's not the case where yeah. the player takes over games when he's the ball handler. He controls everything on the court. Uh, it's not like uh, we look at Maccabi, we have Lorenzo Brown or Wade Baldwin. These guys dominate the game mm. with the ball in their hands. Vizenkov is like the best product of this great Olympiakos system. He's like an, the ambassador of yeah. this amazing uh, system that makes him great, Kostas Lukas great, and even some other players Exactly, great. because if you put Vizenkov on some other team with great players, but not necessarily this great system, uh, he probably wouldn't hit those MVP numbers. He could be a good spot-up shooter, you know, he will get some points and everything, but you wouldn't see him dominating the way he is right now. So that's all the credit to Coach Borzokas and, and the whole Olympiakos team. For I mean, this MVP award to me would be more yeah, about the team. the team, not the individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just to, before moving forward, I just wanted to give credit to other, let's say, MVP race players. And I think that there's one guy who's a bit underrated in this conversation. I'm, I'm not saying that this guy should take it over from Vazenkov because I also agree that, I mean, the conversation should be uh, over in, a, re, uh, in the dream uh, scenario. But uh, I was impressed how Wade Baldwin improved his game in the second uh, round of the EuroLeague regular season. His numbers were amazing. I mean, in the second, uh, from the 18th uh, EuroLeague round, he was averaging 20.2 points per game. Maccabi are seven and five, uh, one of the best teams of this uh, second round of the EuroLeague regular season. They're moving forward, clinching the sixth seed, mm. and they won some big important games, including the game against Basconia, where Baldwin was amazing with 24 points, uh, seven rebounds, eight assists. And Maccabi in the second round, they basically won against all 
uh, neighbors of the standings, yeah. uh, which is super important. Uh, looking at head-to-head records and just moving into in, into the playoffs, uh, he's fifth in points generated through scoring and assistance, uh, assisting his uh, averaging career highs and with seventeen point one points, four point five assists, and sixteen point five performance uh, index rating. And I just. Love what I see about Pale Baldwin this season, and especially now, and not just because he was amazing, but he also carried the team uh, over uh, in 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 big um, games when Lorenzo Brown was missing, when he was injured yeah. for five games, I think. So that was super important for Maccabi moving forward. I completely agree, and I, I honestly had a lot of doubt before the season whether mm-hmm. they can click together. We all did, yeah. And I have to apologize to the Maccabi team and and to Wade Baldwin. He's having a great season, especially the second part of the season. Maybe the first part of the season of the season was more about Lorenzo Brown mm. because he was carrying the team. But in the second part, uh, Baldwin really stepped up uh, when Brown was injured. Now they're playing together, and you can see that sometimes Lorenzo has a better night, sometimes Wade Baldwin has a better night. And actually, after that last win over over Basconia, Wade Baldwin said that they're the best uh, backward duo right now in the league, something like that. Uh, could be. Would you agree uh, with that? Probably at the moment, but yeah. also he said that, but it will count for nothing if we don't make the playoffs. So that's the... That's the, true. The, that's a good statement, you know, yeah. that maybe we're playing as the best duo right now, but we still have to make it to the playoffs to prove a point. And I, I love watching Maccabi, honestly, especially when they're playing at home. And I, I agree that Baldwin deserves... Uh, a lot of credit, but I also have another name in a sort of MVP discussion. Mm. To me, it's Janan Musa. Okay. Uh, he is so close to 60, 40, 90 club. Like he's hitting 59.3% two pointers, 40.3% three pointers, and 87% mm-hmm. uh, free throws. So he's close to these Decolo numbers. Yeah. And he's the most consistent Real Madrid player in my eyes uh, during this regular season because sometimes we saw Gabi Deck taking over in some games. Uh, Eddie Tavares, of course, he generates these big numbers because he's always there. He's getting the rebounds, blocks, and everything. But when you're thinking about who's leading that team, who's leading the offense this season, to me, it's Janan Musa. And he is, well, let's be real, a rookie in the EuroLeague because his past experiences in the EuroLeague doesn't count. Shouldn't count because Mm -hmm. he barely even played or was too young when he was with uh, Olympiakos. So uh, with, he was with FS, I think. I mean, he also with, played for uh, with FS or what team was he Croatia before he went to the NBA team? I think uh, maybe check. it was. Oh was yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, not Olympiakos. Uh, it was it was uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And he p- played like ten games. Uh, mm. He was already good, but I mean, it was basically different basically different it's his first real yeah, Euroleague yeah. season, and he's just so consistent and. He's winning games for That's Real Madrid, true. so I think he's in the discussion as well. Again, if the if it happens so that in the playoffs, let's say Olympiakos faces some uh, struggles, Vazenkov uh, yeah. struggles maybe, and Real Madrid just wins a clean sweep series, and Janan Musa is averaging like twenty points per game, that gives him some yeah. hope of winning the MVP. But to me, he's maybe the future MVP of the EuroLeague. Maybe yeah. in the future he can win this award. But right now, yeah, it's Vizenkov. We're just talking about the other guys as yeah. sort of being in the picture, but not like in a close race. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And regarding Vizenkov, 
I had this question. You already mentioned that we had mm, wrong takes, wrong opinions uh, last summer about some EuroLeague players, about some EuroLeague teams. And I just wanted to compare your thinking of potential future in the NBA for Vizenkov last summer and how your opinion has changed throughout the season, watching him dominating and probably watching him at the peak of his game. It's really hard to see him playing even better. I mean, he mm. was already doing historical stuff in the first part of the season. Okay, in the second part of the season, it was not so easy to, you know, to keep that crazy momentum, but probably we're witnessing peak Vizenkov. Is mm -hmm. Peak Vazenkov enough for the NBA? And how, in what ways, your opinion has changed regarding his NBA potential? My opinion didn't change much, honestly. Um, it all depends on the environment, whether the team that could sign him uh, would play to his strengths. If we're talking right now about Sacramento Kings, well, they have a big man creating, a European player, Damanta Sabonis. We have uh, the Aaron Fox, their point guard. They ha they play a lot of handoff actions. Uh, they have good ball movement. And Vazenkov is very good moving off the ball. But NBA scouts will always have doubts about him, whether he's a three or a four. Uh, is he capable of defending? Uh, is he Does he contain the necessary athleticism to play in the NBA and all that stuff? And my doubt is about the NBA rather than Vizenkov himself. I imagine that NBA teams might see him as a role player and just put him as a spot-up shooter somewhere in their spacing. And in that case, I cannot see him being successful mm -hmm. in the NBA environment. To, like I said, to me, him being the MVP of the season is more about the Olympiakos system rather than just him. Do I see an NBA team playing to his strengths? If they sign him as a role player, a backup, or something like that, I don't think so. Mm. I think he's EuroLeague star material, but the NBA maybe doesn't fit his his uh, strengths. That's a good point because I remember I had this conversation about Nicola Melli. Uh, Nicola Melli was also put something like a spot-up shooter uh, in the NBA yeah. environment in New Orleans. And uh, I remember having this conversation where Melly, uh, he had enough of the NBA because he felt that he could do way more things, you know, uh, posting, passing, uh, shooting. He was just, he didn't feel as a, just a spot-up shooter. But that's the problem. That's different from the what NBA team needs and what they expect from you. And they don't need another player who could, you know, take care, uh, carry the ball uh, and, and stuff like that. So I think it's the same for for Vazenkov. It's one of those doubts that the NBA people uh, also have the role he's going to get. Because I had some interesting, uh, I had uh, multiple conversations with uh, NBA people and they said that if you put him as a spot-up shooter, for instance, he's not as good as Nikola Mirotic was uh, in the NBA. Uh, they have doubts if he could uh, not use to his strengths, if he could be as efficient even as maybe Maxi Kleber is in, in Dallas. Uh, there are, you know, his athleticism, his defense, uh, of course, those question marks that he always had. But uh, I believe that in Europe, there's, you know, this hype, this excitement about his future, why he couldn't play in the NBA, being such a great off-ball player, but NBA is just a different world. And yeah. so far, I would say from all those conversations that I had, I heard more skepticism yeah. than excitement and true belief in his NBA potential. That makes sense because if, if let's say, Sacramento Kings sign him, 
they wouldn't sign him as an MVP with big money yeah, yeah. for a big role in the team. They would sign him to some mid-level contract. And when you have a contract like that, if co- if the coach sees, well, what 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 the, the NBA coach usually sees? Is the team winning with that player on the court or is the team losing with that player on the court? He would take some data uh, with, with, with all the assistant coaches, the analytics, and if they see that, let's say, Vazenkov on defense is a problem, and offensively, he's just a spot-up shooter mm-hmm. who's averaging like three or four three-pointers per game, scoring like 38%. It would be an easy decision for them just to put him out of the rotation. Because we can talk about Gabriel Deck being one of the best small forwards in, in, in EuroLeague. For the NBA, he's just not what they need right now. Like, mm-hmm. he's not a shooter. He's a small forward who loves to play in the post. Nobody in the NBA hmm. plays through their small forward in the post yeah. unless that small forward is Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. And Deck was just stuck on the bench in Oklahoma City. So he he's back in Europe right now, and we're again seeing Gabriel Deck as one of the best uh, small forwards slash power forwards doing all the spin moves and everything. And honestly, if we're talking about a stretch player... To go to the NBA, it's better if you were a four slash five, if yeah. you can play as a stretch center, rather than a three slash four that Vezenkov is. I would love to see him continuing with Olympiacos for more years, actually, because uh, I just doubt that the NBA is the right fit for him. Yeah, and even though Vezenkov, he doesn't require the ball, he's a great off-ball player, but it's still, to use his strengths, you need to involve him, and that uh, takes... For sure. uh, not just being him being on the corner, but giving him opportunities. There yeah. has to be some ball movement, uh, players movement on the court. And even though I love Sabonis and the Arden Fox pair, it's it's just different in basketball. It's not although I could see that two smart European players, two left-handed players like Sabonis and Vezenkov yeah. could create some good chemistry together. Again, we don't know what, for example, Coach Brown thinks. Because uh, you talked to him during the Eurobasket and he had some good ideas about Sabonis when mm. he saw Lithuania playing Valenciunas and Sabonis mm. together. And now we see that Mike Brown actually uh, learned how to use Sabonis because in the first month of the season, it looked like Sabonis is underused. Mm-hmm. And right now, all of a sudden, he's the third best center in the league behind like, Jokic and yeah. Embiid. Anyway, we were talking a lot about Olympiakos. I just wanted to say one thing. like. Uh, who do you think was the best Jalgiris player in the fourth quarter of Olympiakos Jalgiris game? The best Jalgiris player in the Because I have quarter. a very smart answer. Mm, give it to me. That was Tariq Black. Oh, yeah. The best Jalgiris player. Yeah, okay. He is responsible for the Jalgiris comeback. <laughs> That's like, Persokas always has this decision to make whether he uh, trusts Black or Bolomboy as a backup center in that game. So this time he went with Tariq Black and I think in the fourth quarter it was just tragic Bronson as, as Shaquille O'Neal says. Like Honestly, uh, they they were up by 12. It looked like the game is over. I think Jalgir Arena even got silent. Mm-hmm. But then Tariq Black started doing all these things. A charge, a bad post-up, uh, not raising his hand uh, against uh, Roland Schmitz in those pick and pops that Jalgiris was running. I mean, all so much happened in these four or five minutes 
uh, that basically Jalgiris uh, got back to the game and then Barzoka just had to put uh, Mustafa Fall back on the court, uh, who was passing the ball really well in that game. And Olympiakos almost lost the game, actually. It would have been a very sweet extra win for Jalgiris. Uh, but in the end, Olympiakos still prevails. No, speaking of Jargis, it's just crazy to see Edgar Aslan was uh, taking potential game-winner shots. It just tells a lot about your offensive potential that you have. And even though Brasdekis had the bad game, I would rather go with Brasdekis. He's, for me, uh, obviously the best one-on-one -on -one player in this team, and he would draw some defensive attention. There would be some kick-out pass uh, opportunities, or he could finish uh, by himself because he, he has that mentality. No matter what happened before, how many shots he, he missed, yeah. he could uh, clinch that shot. He could uh, clinch that game. Yeah, maybe, but he was was not in the rhythm for that game. Olanovas in the past uh, hit some clutch shots against Vesda, against Milan. So Kazis Maxvitas probably has that feel. Yeah, yeah. And you cannot go against his but decisions. Just having Olanovas to decide your game just tells about how crazy, how grateful Jalgiris yeah. should be being in this position yeah. of still uh, participating in this playoff. That is true, of course. Well, I mean, in. In the picture we had before Keenan Evans' injury, it would be it, yeah. it, it was clear yeah, that yeah, he's yeah. the guy, and Isaiah Taylor was but out for that game also. Even without him, I'm real surprised that they're still in this mix. I thought that everyone Keenan Evans was out. I thought yeah. that okay, it was a great fairy tale, but now it's over. Everyone is surprised, and but they're still fighting for the playoffs. If you are the first seeded team, and let's say you're not Olympiacos, don't focus on on matchups. But right. you're, if you're just first seeded team in general, who's the worst opponent for you coming off eight seed. Um, Let, let's say that in this conversation we have Maccabi, Partizan, Basconia, Jalgiris, Valencia. Okay, FS counts, but let's say they're they're done. Uh, yeah, I'm not ruling them out. Yeah, but I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to talk about FS because they didn't win against Partizan. They again, they have these. Nightmare fourth quarters, and it's not the first time this season. Even against Real Madrid, they had a nightmare fourth quarter, yeah. which almost cost them the game. So I'm not going to talk about FS. If they had two wins uh, last week, maybe, uh, not not maybe then for sure I would yeah. be talking about them. Uh, in this case, uh, the worst uh, possible matchup from the HC to me is Partizan, because facing Jelko Bradovic in a best-of-five series can be tricky. Uh, they have a very good, very smooth offense. Defensively, they got better than they were in the second part of the season. Uh, now they have a clear rotation, and I think they have enough depth to to play a good series. And Jelko is the mastermind, you know? So to me, that's the probably worst matchup you can get from the eighth seed. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, talented roster. Uh, they're still improving their game. Huge fan base. Uh, I really don't want them. Although yeah. our other teams, and and what's 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 great about Partizan that they did really good in the second part of the regular yeah. season. They have they shared the the tie for the third best record in the second part of the regular season of eight wins in, in twelve games. For instance, Olympiacos is the best uh, second part uh, season team with ten wins in twelve games. Madrid has nine and three, and then there comes Fener, Maccabi, and Valencia with seven wins. Uh, I just tried to check the record of all those teams 
uh, playing against top five teams. And I was a bit surprised uh, to see that actually Partizan has the worst record, but they still have many, at least few games to play against the, these top teams. Uh, Partizan, they have two wins in six games. And I was surprised to see Valencia on top of this list. They won four of eight games against top five teams, and they haven't lost more than uh, by seven points uh, against these uh, top five teams. Okay. But, you know, it, it can happen in the regular season. I'm just not sure about the playoffs where nobody going to underestimate you and Valencia. Uh, I love their team. I'm really, I'm already surprised that they're still in this uh, playoff race. But they have the 16th worst uh, defensive uh, mm-hmm. rating in the second uh, part of the regular season. And I'm not really a big believer of those teams that rely mm, in offense if we speak about uh, Game 5 series. So Partizan, they still mm-hmm. kept the best offense in the EuroLeague. And yeah. what's, what's the best about them, they had the worst defensive rating. In the second part of the regular season, they improved their defense to the sixth best, which is amazing. And obviously, the second worst uh, opponent you can get from the AC is Maccabi because they're yeah. a hot team right now. Uh, the players are happy. They're playing this free-flowing basketball. It's just the thing that they do that very well at home. And away from home, maybe only that game against Cephas stands out. And Partizan, they've been proving that they can play very well away from home. FS, Fenerbahce, even against Algiris, they had almost a perfect game in Kona. So Maccabi, as well as Basconia, Mm -hmm. they usually... Especially if you're Real Madrid, you're afraid of Basconia because they're like 0-4 this year. Yeah, they lost in ACB League like last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Maccabi and Basconia, they're very good at home. They're not so good away from home. And if we're talking about the eighth seed, you obviously have the home court advantage. And if it goes to game five, you're at home. Mm. And game five, even at home versus Jelko Bradovic. It might get tricky. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, th- these these are teams that you would try to avoid. You said that you don't want to talk about FS, but we must uh, speak of... I, I said, like, I don't want to talk about them in this conversation, in this conversation yeah, about okay. the eighth seed because they disappointed me so much with that loss uh, versus Partizan. Yeah, and uh, last week we started this catch-and-shoot uh, segment where we're doing some big, smart uh, analysis of uh, social media activities. And... Shane Larkin just announced this goofball hour uh, after the loss uh, against uh, Partizan. Uh, Ardonas can put some screens uh, on our TV. And basically, as the last time we had this um, segment sponsored by Mike James, this time we'll have this segment sponsored by Shane Larkin because he just he was just creating content by himself. Uh, so it was a surprising outing, outing on Twitter, I would say, uh, after this comment uh, by random basketball fan. Uh, he, 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 he tweeted this after just, uh, I think it was just FS tweet or something about the game, the poster of the game. Yeah. Out of the playoffs, uh, well done, guys. Thank you, Shane Larkin. Phenomenal performance again. And it got, it got uh, Shane Larkin on fire. He said that most important game of the year, and I played 22 minutes in the last three uh, and the, in the last three minutes of the game out of reach. So shut that shit up, Goofy, and it just it just started. I, what what was your reaction? You know, watching him going off uh, on Twitter and focusing uh, in first tweets, focusing on his playing time. I mean, players going out on Twitter doesn't even surprise me anymore. 
It just happens with the NBA players, with the EuroLeague players. And I can understand his frustration, first of all. Uh, we actually asked our colleague, uh, former player Linus Klaes on Lithuanian podcast, what does he think about it? Because he, he was a star player for Olympiakos. And he says, I understand Shea Larkin. He's one of the best players. He shouldn't play just 22 minutes. And in this case, I agree. Uh, he was underplayed in that game. Maybe you can say mistreated. Uh, he is one of the best guards in the in, in the league. And it's unimaginable that in the most important game of the season, he plays just 22 minutes. Especially knowing that on, on Tuesday versus Real Madrid, he was cooking. And he basically hit the most important shot of the game with one minute left. That was a three-pointer when they were down by one. So I... I understand Shane Larkin. I understand his frustration. I do believe he's right in this uh, situation, but uh, should he talk about it mm. so much publicly? That's a matter of opinion. Maybe you mm. can discuss these things internally with your coach, with your teammates and everything. And now he just uh, started responding to, to random fans on Twitter, complaining about his playing time. It doesn't look right, although I'm always for players being open, honest, and maybe sharing something yeah. more on Twitter than, yeah. than we, we were used to like uh, 10 or 15 years ago when there was no Twitter, uh, no social media, then we, we just see these players for 40 minutes on the court and that's it. I actually endorse those tweets uh, because I endorsed the whole basketball conversation and discussion. Even the last time when Mike James tweeted about uh, this box and one uh, game against uh, Alba Berlin, I don't know, probably didn't change his opinion at all, but I believe that through these discussions, especially when the head coaches were involved from the different teams, where uh, Augustas even did this uh, breakdown of, of, of that game, uh, we also discussed, I mean, it brought a big discussion on the table, and I believe that through these discussions, you can also change your mind, you can, you can learn, you can take something from it, even if you agree with it or not. So I believe that every discussion is good, not every discussion on Twitter is great because it can the quality level of those discussions can be very different and maybe just worthless to go uh, and and discuss those things with fans with haters uh, mostly as what some all partisan fans also said to us when we reacted to Mike James reacted uh, to their tweets that they yeah. were just joking uh, trash talking uh, and stuff but I think as Shane Larkin and in, in some other tweets uh, he said that uh, uh, because he was also uh, offended um, by you can you can go through these uh, tweets uh, actually uh, Radonis. Uh he he was told by some fans that hey uh, it's unprofessional for you to come out uh, right now you still have five games remaining you can still make the playoffs and maybe it it, it would be better to stay you know uh, calmer and and silent about it but I like what Shane said you can talk all this shit about us uh, on Twitter and when I say something but all right something suddenly it becomes a problem so I kind of get it and. I'm biased in, the, in this conversation because I'm media representative and these guys, they just create content for, for me. <laughs> so I'm not sure if Ergin Ataman liked it. Maybe it adds uh, some um, tension uh, inside the team. 
Although in in some other tweets, Shane Larkin explained that even he he, he doesn't he didn't want to play all forty minutes. He feels uh, he he shouldn't be blamed for just being a player and wanting to play more in big games of the season. So he kind of chilled down uh, later. Uh, I would say so. It depends yeah, on what. This Harman is a tweets. good response. Yeah, this is a good uh, good response uh, to someone who's just talking nonsense. But you and Will better end the friendship with Mike James. This could be the best advice I mean, of your career. What? Who are you to give advices uh, to a back-to-back champion about his career? Yeah. Honestly. But um, that's the thing. We don't have a problem with uh, those tweets, right? But what's important, whether his own teammates, coaches, and even staff... Whether yeah. they have a problem yeah. with it, and if maybe the they don't. Not. Maybe they don't want players to be so public about internal issues like playing time. But so, what's the difference if he actually said something like that inside the team? I mean, if that's the first time he came out with so these we feelings. don't know what happens in the locker room. We don't yeah. know their private conversations. But I mean, sometimes some things should stay there. Uh huh. Yeah. And when it goes on Twitter. Obviously, there are people siding with the coach and some people siding with uh, the player. You always have mm. these like two camps. One will say that in this game, his performance was not good enough, so the coach is right to play him just 22 minutes. And yeah. the others will say, look, but he's one of the best guards in the league. He should be trusted more. Uh, he has done it before in some games in fourth quarters, uh, scoring big-time shots, and and he, he should play at least 30 minutes in the most important game of the season. So, and then you will have people disagreeing on on, on things. Uh, maybe that's not necessary. It doesn't help mm. the team in any way. If you want to say something to your coach, you say to your coach directly. But I understand that after losing such an important yeah. game, you're full of emotions, you're frustrated. And <laughs> some people just take their frustration out on Twitter. It just happens to be so. And it's not like basketball players are unique in this way. You can see football players, tennis players, uh, various sports uh, athletes doing the same thing. After a painful loss, they go on Twitter, they start blaming other people, referees or whatever, and maybe it helps them feel better. I don't know. Mm. I mean, I tweet sometimes stuff about basketball games or football games but these are my takes they don't influence any teams mm -hmm. or players i'm just like a media guy a, a sports commentator right but when uh a basketball player tweet starts tweeting about his own team and his own coach's decisions mm, some people might might feel that it's not right Mm. I was going back and forth thinking if Shane was right, not just uh, coming out on Twitter, but also uh, about focusing on his playing time. Because honestly speaking, uh, he's in a difficult uh, stretch right now. Uh, yeah, he had this amazing game against Real Madrid, but basically he played just, yeah, he made this crucial shot, but he basically played just one great quarter, scoring 13 points uh, to turn the game around against Madrid. Because in the last three games, he was uh, almost uh, scoring. And I, I think that the, the other best, uh, highest scoring quarter was like with four points or something. And you can feel and you can see that 
he might be affected by missing the huge part of the season due to his injury. Uh, he might be affected by the fact that he joined the team during the season, which already added Bill Clyburn, who had a huge role in this team, carrying the team together with Vasa Misic, playing huge minutes with Vasa. They, they were leading the EuroLeague in, in, in minutes played uh, per game. So it's not easy by missing the two, three months of the start of the season to to get in, even though the, you know these uh, teammates uh, very well. But it's dy dynamics of the offensive flow is a bit different. So it might also impact at his game. But then I thought that it's Shane Larkin. I mean, he's the player that he can be silent, he can be off for three quarters. But when you're playing the most important games of the season, you still have to keep him on the court, even though Elijah Bryant was playing really great stretch uh, recently. But you have to keep Shane Larkin because you never know when he can change uh, the game, when he can turn around the game. So I kind of get it, uh, Shane Larkin and his frustration. Especially oh. knowing that they were without Rodrigue Bobois. Yeah. Uh, because Bobois is an elite shooter. If you have Bobois hot, Mm -hmm. Then you can say maybe at the time he's the better option, but uh, Boba was out. He, he wasn't playing. So I side with Shane Larkin uh, to end the conversation. I can say I have a lot of respect for him. I love his game. Mm -hmm. And well, sometimes things just don't go your way in life as well as in basketball. Yeah. And to be honest, uh, I still think that FS, they, although they have a losing head-to-head -head record uh, against three of the potential playoff teams, uh, Maccabi, Basconi, and Partizan, which makes their uh, playoff chase really complicated because they not just have to uh, chase those teams, but they have to have at least one win uh, more than them. So they need to win all five games left. Basically, yes. And according to Darius Garoli's uh, data, they have the easiest schedule. They play three games at home. For instance, they play Monaco at the last game of their regular season and Monaco might be in the situation where this game won't matter at all for them so they might play their second unit guys I mean but I, on I, the 6th of April they have this Istanbul Derby yeah that's probably that's gonna the be the toughest, toughest game. game the toughest game yeah. but I really believe that with this talent they still have a mm, decent shot at making the playoffs but uh, what I think puts them away from the playoffs, at least right now, is it's not about Shane Larkin. It's not about Will Clyburn. It's not about uh, Misic. I think it's not about pointing fingers at each other. It's just about the details. I mean, this team has, in the second part of the regular season, they, has, they have the worst defensive rating. When you watch them play, you, you, I, sometimes I get myself even shouting at them like, Hey guys, just make that foul. Make that foul a smart foul in transition. Stop them before letting them to score easy points. I don't see them, you know, fighting for these 50-50 uh, balls. I still see them having communication problems uh, defensively. I just still see them lacking of uh, discipline. And it's it starts from each other. It starts from from some focus and and being disciplined, starting from from defense. I think that's what they've been lacking the most, not just this year, but in the, in in the recent seasons. Well, I think it starts from coaching. Honestly, they've been successful winning with player power, but uh, this season I think they're learning that you need to respect the regular season a bit more, uh, and. You need to pay attention to details because we see all these other teams always being so focused, always being so disciplined, well-coached teams. 
this season, I don't see any coaching in FS except of substituting players. Like uh, you're just going to face all these teams without any any uh, analysis. Like all these other teams, they watch tapes, they emphasize the other team's strengths. It it seems like FS doesn't really care about the other team. They just mm-hmm. care about their own game. But in Euroleague right now, you have so much quality that you have to be prepared. You must understand who you're defending, who you're dealing with. Uh, it's not just about the rotations. It's not just about deciding whether Tibor Plyce or Ante Zizic is the better fit for this game. It's it's about details, you know. And uh, I think in the future, FS will obviously have a good team. They just need to respect the regular season a bit more. Uh Last season, they had similar issues, but it just sneaked into the playoffs, and after that, it was fine. Yeah, They were champions again. Yes, yeah, so respect the regular season. Uh, we are running out of time, so uh, we're not going to discuss every Shane Larkin tweet that he made, but his thread is, of course, uh, worth uh, a watch. Uh, but please, Erdonas, put the slide number seven on the screen, I just wanted to hear Rita's opinion on Eddie Tavares, perfect basketball player description. Uh, I think it was a collaboration by our social media guys and Eddie Tavares because I didn't see him speaking of those things to an, an, any other uh, Spanish media outlet. But what do you think about this perfect player? Uh, mm. Well, it's normal that he goes for his teammates, first of all. <laughs> that shows he's a really good teammate. Uh, Shooting, JC Carroll, for no sure. Um, basketball IQ, Sergio Yu. Well, he's on that top shelf with many other great players mm. like Spanulis, Sharas, Navarro, and many others. So you can, yeah. can't go wrong with that. Um, passing Sergio Rodriguez, again. I mean, you Some can choose might prefer, I, I mean, I would yeah. choose Teodosic. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, w- I would sh- choose Milos, but Sergio but Rodriguez is a good choice. He's a top-tire passer, yeah, so for sure, I, I for understand sure. Eddie. He's not He's not even biased. Okay, it's yeah. a bit biased take, but still, I, I get it. Uh, athleticism, Gershon, Yabusele. He's a strong guy, <laughs> you know, but you can take your own athleticism if you're Eddie Tavares. Uh and handle is Mike James. That's a, that's an interesting one because he's not a Real Madrid player. Mm. But I do believe that Eddie Tavares suffered from Mike James' handles this season, yeah. and he yeah. respects his game and respects uh, his skills. So uh, for sure, Mike James has uh, sick handles. Uh, and leadership, Fidel Mendonca, and that I don't have much to say. Mm. I don't know the guy, but obviously Eddie Tavares plays with him uh, for the national team, and they qualified for the World Cup. So. Uh, you can trust his judgment that uh, maybe he's a good leader. So, yeah, Eddie Tavares, some good picks here. Yeah, although Instagram uh, fans, they they got wild about his picks. Uh, I see these comments, but I mean, come on, like, he's a Real Madrid player. What do you expect him to choose? Exactly. Barcelona players? Exactly. But <laughs> there were some... Uh, <laughs> Funny comments, for instance. Perfect player, Jesse Vizenkov. Watch Yabusele live. The dude should not be on this list. He moves like a truck. No, well, that's a very bad comment. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so much disrespect to Yabusele. There's a lot of disrespect on Instagram, I would say. 
I, I mean, I remember Yabusele running on fast breaks in the Eurobasket uh, last season for Real Madrid. Maybe this season is not so great for him. Mm. Last season was better, but you should re- put some respect yeah, on his name. Yeah, he's underrated. He's really underrated, even in terms of athleticism. Uh, man never heard of Serbia. Of course, what an odd list. Teodosic IQ, Spanulis leadership, Kalaitis, Lukas, or Teodosic passing. Serbian uh, fans also got disappointed. So I mean, these guys... Eddie knew look, where he was coming. Look, uh, when somebody asks what's the perfect player for Nikola Milanovic, you can build your own perfect player. <laughs> this was a segment where Eddie Tavares had to yeah. pick his own. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and just for the last part of the pod... Uh, actually, this segment was inspired by one uh, Olympiakos fan uh, who was commentating in our Basket News Twitter profile under Bogdan Bogdanovich news. Bogdanovich signed a new four-year deal with uh, Atlanta Hawks. It's a lucrative uh, 68 million extension starting from the following year. And that was a great comment by this Olympiagos fan. He said that he will be 35 when this, his contract finish and we may never see him again in EuroLeague. And it got me a bit nostalgic and I thought of some of a little bit random Europeans that I would put it for you and I will ask... What do you think if we will ever see them again in Europe or not based on their uh, connection with European basketball, mm. with some teams, based on their potential to be on a decline in the NBA and all okay. the other factors. So just for big, for the beginning, actually, what do you think about Bogdanovic? Do, do you see him uh, returning? Well, first of all, I think it's a very good extension. I, I expected him to stay in Atlanta and he is staying. Uh, but about him returning... Yeah, I could see him playing, uh, let's say, for Fenerbahce the same way Bielica does right now, mm-hmm. or maybe finishing with Partizan. I could see that happening. Yeah, it probably depends on what kind of experience he will have with the Atlanta Hawks. If they won't compete for the title, if he won't be traded to the title There team, are so many factors. Bielica's example is How really is he great. feeling at, at the age of 35 or 36? Mm-hmm. Does he feel like he still has something to offer? The injuries and everything... But uh, in general, I, I do see him because he seems very interested in what happens in the EuroLeague. He follows his his favorite teams and watches games, and we see yeah. him visiting the Final Four events. So, yeah. Boban Marjanovic turns 30, uh, 35 uh, this summer, I think. He's on an expiring contract with Houston. He earns less than $1 million, and he averaged career low 3.2 points and 1.7 rebounds in five minutes uh, during his tenure with Houston. What I mean, do you think N- about this? NBA teams like him because of his locker room presence. NBA players like being around him. Mm, maybe my guess would be that he he's, he continues signing these one-year He d- should contracts. sign in LA and also do part some part of basketball stuff and then Hollywood stuff probably. Should be a part-time That's a, basketball player new career possibility. So I do see him signing, let's say, this summer, again, a one-year contract with some NBA team, and maybe he won't even play in in Europe again. The last time he was there, it was 2014-15 season. He averaged double-double for Red Star, and he made the first uh, all-Euroleague team. Dennis Schroeder turns 30 this September. He's on an expiring contract with Lakers. 
but he he had a decent season with 12.7 points, 4.6 assists. But knowing how guards decline, and I'm not speaking about you know him returning to Europe in three or two years, maybe in five and six, maybe kind of having Isaiah Thomas' example or some others. Do you see him ever playing in Europe again? No. Uh, to me, he's an NBA player. Uh, NBA is his style. Uh, right now, he is better for the national team than he was like three or four years ago. He's more mature yeah. and everything. He He's a better leader. We saw it in the Eurobasket. So we will continue seeing him playing for the German national team. But I don't see him in the EuroLeague or, or in the Bundesliga. He's having a good season in the NBA right now, uh, especially in those games with, we, where LeBron James is out. He's more of a ball handler, and he is definitely uh, a good fit for Lakers right now. So maybe they will even decide to keep him. And I just don't think uh, mm-hmm. a, a European comeback is a, a, a huge possibility. Like, yeah, I do see him playing three or four more years in the NBA at least. Yeah, for me, he doesn't have that bond with European um, club competitions, and and uh, he's he has this for me. I think that he has this NBA mentality. Although he played for Braunschweig ten years ago, and he was averaging twelve points in the German league when he was nineteen. Furkan Korkmaz, he turns twenty six this summer. He's on his second year of his three-year contract, 15 million contract with Philadelphia. Average career lows in Philly with 3.6 points in nine minutes. He requested a trade. He is a good shooter. NBA teams need players like that. He will find a roster spot for sure right now. And he's uh, he's still pretty young. Uh, what is he, like 26, Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah, he turns 26 this summer. Okay, so... I can see him be uh, back in Europe, but after five or six years, not right now, yeah. definitely. Maybe maybe to FS, where he has played yeah, before maybe moving. S- some, sometime later in his career, yes, but right now he's still NBA material, and uh, you cannot judge him based on what's happening right now. You can remember what happened last season or even the season before, where he was a really solid yeah. reliable shooter for the Philadelphia 76ers even made some clutch shots so he will get a roster spot next next season for sure Evan Fournier turns 31 in the beginning of the next season he's in his second year of his four year 73 million deal with the New York Knicks but Knicks has the option for the 24 25 season he averages he averages 6.8 points in 18 minutes on 35% field goal shoot, shooting and it's his lowest since his rookie season. Yeah, and he doesn't even play. Yeah. He doesn't even play right now. It's obvious he's not going to play in the playoffs. He's going to be kept on the bench. Uh and it's only about the Knicks or it he might have a hard time I'm not time so sure. I mean, the, the Knicks are keeping Derrick Rose on the bench as well. So it's Tom Thibodeau is one of those coaches that loves to have a really clear rotation uh, of eight or nine players, and for others it's a struggle. Uh, maybe some team will give him a chance, but we even saw in the Eurobasket that he's declined a little bit. I would like to see him in Europe. Mm. Mm, uh, I hope we will see him in next few years. Obviously now he's targeting the Paris Olympics. So he needs to decide what's what's best for him. Mm-hmm. Should he have more competitive playing time in the 23-24 season, let's say, in the EuroLeague? Or should he just stay in the NBA where there's a risk you, you'll be kept on the bench? So if I if in the summer 
he, does he become a free agent in the summer? No, 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 no. not yet. He so, still has one year guaranteed deal. Well, then maybe he needs to ask for a trade or a yeah. buyout or something like that because it's obvious that with the Knicks, it's like a dead end mm. right now. And it's still, it seems like that he's not the guy who is okay with sitting on the bench. So. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Although you can see him cheering for his teammates yeah, and everything, yeah. but I don't but think he's, he's a baller. I don't think he's happy with yeah. with the current situation. Serge Ibaka, he turns 34 before the season. A free agent was waived by Pacers, just yeah. traded by Milwaukee Bucks. Average career low, 4.1 points and 2.8 rebounds this season. Somehow I have a feeling that he's going to play in the ACB League. Okay. Somehow I do believe in that. Mm. During the lockout year, he, he played, played for Real Madrid. So I do have that feeling he's going to play at least one season somewhere in Spain. Mm. Maybe Manresa, where he was playing when he was 19. I don't know. I'm just saying Spain, obviously, ACB League. But maybe he can still sign a veteran's contract for mm. at least one more year in the NBA. But yeah, he's one of those players that definitely declined in the recent years. And just the last guy of this list, Jonas Valanciunas, turns 31 this summer. Uh, he's on his first season of a two-year 30 million yeah. deal with Pelicans, averages 14.2 points and 9.7 rebounds. Right now, he's still a very solid center in the NBA. But in five years, I do see him in Utana playing or Zalgiris. Uh, maybe Zalgiris, but because now tonight they have all those political nah, fights but I mean, five years <laughs> i don't know what's going to happen after five years it's just that he is from utana he loves fishing he loves uh, being somewhere in nature yeah uh, by the lake and i could see him like before retiring playing this uh relaxation season when yeah. you play in the lithuanian league people are happy to see you uh you're surrounded by a lot of positive energy and you just enjoy basketball a little bit more so i can see that happening Ralgiris, well they're competing you need, then then you need to be ready for a tough season in the euro league yeah. and everything when he's 36 or 37 we don't know if he, he has that kind of mo motivation right now he's still very dedicated towards the national team obviously uh, in the NBA, he's already becoming a veteran, but he still has a lot to offer. So definitely, he's not going to be back in Europe uh, for the next two or three years. Okay, that's it. Yeah, that was the part for uh, for today. We're cheering for uh, Augustus to recover and to uh, keep the series alive and the NKL uh, playoffs. Thanks, Ritas, for your presence. And thank you all for our listeners. Just please, if you listened this to the end, so just you know, put uh, not much effort and just hit this like and subscribe button because it these simple steps really helps us to grow. See you soon.